If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes, indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. Growing up, I always had these women that I admired, right? These these figures that you look up to and you say, how? how you know, where do they get this driving force to be fully themselves? Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we talk all things quilting, hear quilters and other crafters' stories, and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them. I'm your host, Susan Smith, coming to you from my quilting studio, Stitched by Susan. This is where my long arm, Lucy, and I spend lots of hours doing freehand, edge-to-edge quilting. If you're not a quilter, and those terms mean nothing to you, it's basically doodling on the layers of a quilt top with a 50-pound pencil, with needle and thread attached, and at very high speed. This week, I've been working on a quilt of valor and also doing a fair bit of live streaming, which kind of in my mind is a gamer's paradise, but it turns out there are quilters who enjoy live streaming too. I'm very much an introvert, so it's kind of been a surprise to me to find that I thoroughly enjoy doing these interactive broadcasts. In them, I'm usually quilting a full project in real time, so with no editing, from beginning to end. So all the thread breaks and the oopses are included. Plus, viewers are able to ask questions and even vote on choices. So it becomes this very satisfying quilting bee sort of event. So if you're interested in viewing some, check out my Facebook page or my YouTube channel, Stitched by Susan, and some of the replays can be viewed there. Today, I'm welcoming into my studio Varushka Zarati, foundation paper piecer extraordinaire. She is inspired by remarkable humans to create their portrait in fabric. And these portraits have got to be seen to be believed. But today, I invite you to join us as she gives us a closer look at her inspiration and process as an artist. Today's Pins and Needles is brought to you by the will and dave show hi i'm the will half of the will and dave show a short little podcast that myself and the eponymous dave like to record talking about the things that really matter to us whether that's social political or pop culture usually we don't see eye to eye but more often than not we can find some common ground in there somewhere and now back to pins and needles with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there Everyone needs a spa day, including your sewing machine. Here's how I schedule regular small maintenance for my sewing machine. I pre-fill bobbins and I typically do my piecing with the same kind of neutral tan color. So I pre-fill six or seven bobbins. And when I've used up those bobbins, that's my trigger. It's time for a spa moment. So I pause, unload the bobbin, pull out the whole bobbin casing assembly and give my machine a good cleaning from lint. 
So I like to use just a child's crafty paintbrush, a fairly small one, and the fuzzier and more worn out it is, the better. And I use that brush to reach absolutely every mechanical area of my machine and it kind of grabs and picks up and pulls together all the lint that's in there. If your brush isn't pulling it all out, you might need a pair of tweezers. If you have a pair of angled tweezers, they're excellent for grabbing those little dust bunnies and pulling them out. I was once talking to the guy who does the maintenance on my sewing machine and he said that the absolute number one problem he sees with sewing machines is a huge overgrowth of lint, sometimes so bad that it's compacted like a brick in there. So this one tip will save you, save you, save you in having your machine repaired and cleaned. So just clean that lint out at the end of every six bobbins, put the bobbin casing back in and the throat plate of the machine back on and you're ready to go again. Wind six more bobbins and you're reset for the next time. You all know I love my coffee. And if you're interested in supporting this podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash stitched by Susan, where for the price of one delicious coffee, you're able to make a one-time contribution. This helps me keep batteries in stock for my microphone and enables me to keep bringing you these weekly episodes. Thanks so much for your support. And maybe take a moment now to refill your cup as you settle back to enjoy today's interview. So without further ado, I am welcoming Barushka into my studio today. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure, Susan. Thank you for having me. I first found your work on Instagram, and it is over the top. I don't even have adjectives to describe. It has to be oh. seen to be believed. But of course, we can't <laughs> show our listeners today. So tell us what it is that you are currently working on and what you're becoming well known for. Yes. Yeah, so it's so interesting you talk about finding me on Instagram because <clears throat> I actually started my quilting Instagram page maybe last like August because, you know, I was posting on my personal page, you know, how to do a quarter inch seam or this is how pa and my cousins and my friends and family were like, uh, what is this all about? So I thought, you know, what started as an experiment to just kind of share you know, what I was doing as a hobby on Instagram really took a life of its own and has been such, such a rewarding experience. Um, uh, the, the response I've gotten from folks that are seeing what I'm doing. So um, I, I started sewing after I had my two little boys that was around 14, maybe 17, 18. Um, Primarily because I, <laughs> it's a funny story. Um, I was started accumulating all of these baby clothes and I didn't know what to do with them. And my husband one day says to me, Varushka, what are you, what are you going to do with these boxes and boxes of baby clothes? You know, cause to me, I don't know how it is for you, Susan, but to me, I, I felt like these clothes had memories and meaning in them. And I felt like if I just gave them away, they would just be baby clothes to someone else. Right. True. But to me, <laughs> They were imbued with memory. And so I thought, oh, I cannot give these away, but I need to do something. So I went online and, you know, Googled what to do with, with fabric. And that's when I happened on on quilting. Now, at the time, I, I didn't know how to sew. I, I didn't uh, own a sewing machine. Um, I had taken a sewing class in high school, um, but I was not. 
I was not in, I was not uh, at all knowledgeable in sewing. And so I, I mentioned to my husband, um, you know, maybe I can do a quilt for my children. And my sweet husband got me uh, a QVC sewing machine, my very first Mother's Day. Nice. Now at the time I only had a, a newborn and a one-year-old, so I didn't even open it until a year later. And the poor machine out of the box didn't work. So that was another like six months. But <clears throat> once I started uh, learning about quilting online on YouTube, I took like a duck to water. I felt there was something about this that just, I, I enjoyed every single process of it from, from learning about notions to learning about machines to learning about technique. Um, <clears throat> and that's where I started kind of sharing, you know, little tidbits on Instagram. Um, but then where it really blew up was when I started doing my um, original art art quilts using foundation paper piecing. That's when um, things last August, September really just exploded exponentially. And that would be about the time that I first saw you. And, and your artwork is so incredibly unique. I've been in the quilting industry for a little while and I've seen nothing like it. So, so what gave you that idea? Was it a, just a bright moment idea or did it grow out of doing other things? That's a really great question. I, in my other life, pre, pre children, um, I went to graduate school professionally. I was a, a, a therapist, a counselor, worked at uh, University of California in their counseling psych department. And so all, all, most of my life has been about um, uplifting and, you know, empowering, um, uh, inspiring others. And <clears throat> so I really have a heart for that. I really have a heart for, for um things that are uplifting, things that inspire. And, and in my own life, you know, I, I love reading, listening to biographies of people who have s somehow in their journey used their voice unapologetically for the, for the sake of good, right? Mm -hmm. And so even growing up as, as a first-generation American, um, <clears throat> I, th there were stories that I was told of people that – um uh you know were, were were bold who were who were uh had, had no worries in using their own voice for the betterment of the world right and at times they were persecuted for it um but one of the people that have always inspired me in particular women um has been frida kahlo since i was a little girl and you know most people i <laughs> It was so funny. Maybe about a year ago, I was walking through a, a quilt show. Um, once I got into quilting, I was barely learning. And I heard someone say, mm, all of a sudden, this Frida is so popular. And I thought, and I kind of spoke, and I'm a, up, spoke up and I said, well, she's been popular for a long time. But for, for many, I think in the United States, not as much. But, you know, Frida Kahlo is is. Uh, you know, a woman who lived many, many years ago in, in the 30s and 40s, who was half German, half uh, Mexican indigenous, um, who 
held political views that were controversial. She was a communist. Um, she was polyamorous. She was handicapped. Um, she was uh, an artist who who used you know scenes that were typically not thought of as effeminate, right? So there were a lot of skulls and hearts. And, and that was because actually she wanted to be a physician. But back in the day, women weren't allowed to be doctors, right? So she would she would imbue all of these, these really at the time, non-fancy uh, things, right? Non-popular things <clears throat> into her being and was unapologetically herself. And so, you know, her artwork nowadays is like, unlike anything we've seen, it's, it's thought provoking. So I, I was always drawn to these amazing women, right? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, how do you go through law school, being a mom, fighting the gender norms in, in our society? So growing up, I always had these women that I admired, right? Mm -hmm. These, these figures that you look up to and you say, how, how you know, where do they get this driving force to be fully themselves? And so when I when I fell in love with foundation paper piecing, well, quilting first, and then when I found foundation paper piecing, I was like, this is my jam. I mean, the thing about foundation paper piecing is this regarding designing subjects, the sky's the limits, really. Um, so when I started really exploring and studying how, how to make my own designs, my own things, I thought, well, if I'm going to spend this much time designing something and then making something, what is something that I really love? Like, what is something that inspires me, right? And I had seen a lot of really wonderful uh, motifs of, of, of animals or, uh, um, you know, trees, plants, flowers. Um, <clears throat> but there was nothing really wonderful things but there was nothing really that was like really tugging at my spirit. And I thought, well, you know what, let me give it, let me give it a go in trying to, you know, design um, people that inspire me, things that inspire me. So like I have now almost like nine months into it, I have, you know, sort of like these two avenues of patterns that I've made. One are these portraits of folks um, that inspire me and, and are incredible human beings. And the other are patterns that kind of hint to, um, you know, the uplifting and empower, empowerment of women mm -hmm. in general. Um, and so, so was, yeah. Can I ask what your first portrait was? And how yeah. that went for you? Was it exploratory process or did did that come easily since you had already been foundation paper piecing? So the first portrait that I I made on my own, because there there was a the first portrait I kind of I, I, I didn't know how to make foundation paper piecing. I kind of collaborated with someone who was a pattern designer to make Frida, but it really didn't turn out it, it, it didn't turn out in the way that I was hoping. So that's when I was like, you know what? <clears throat> I need to figure this out on my own. And um, I, I, I had taken some graphic design courses in the past at, you know, just community college because I've always been interested in art and design. Um, but I said, you know, I need to figure this out on my own. And so uh, the first uh, pattern that I ever designed, um, now I look back at it and I laugh because I've learned so much from that first pattern because there's a difference between designing something and it looks okay 
and you're like, yes, this will work to actually sewing it up. Those are two different worlds. True. You can have mm-hmm. a wonderful concept, a wonderful subject, um, you know, even drafted on the computer on Illustrator. And you're like, yes, this will work. But when you take that to executing it, it's two different worlds. And that's exactly what happened. My very first was an Audrey Hepburn, who's another incredible human being that I've admired since I was a little girl. My mother actually learned English listening to her uh, 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 movies as a, as a child. Um, and so, it, you know, Audrey Hepburn too, you know, th- th- this, this person who grew up in World War II Europe, who suffered starvation, was kind of helped out of that as a child through UN child services. And and so after she becomes this huge movie star, she goes back and becomes one of the first movie stars, if you will, celebrities to give back to children who are suffering poverty and a war and um, famine. And, and, and she starts bringing to light these issues. Now, this was in a time where it wasn't as popular as, as it is now, which I'm glad it is now. So at the time, it was kind of like, okay, you know, that's kind of dirty work. <laughs> she, she was very um, groundbreaking, for sure, in her humanitarian efforts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially from someone coming from that that echelon, right? I mean, I mean, in the United States, we don't have royalty, but movie stars are as close to royalty, I think, as we get. So yeah, so she she she's someone who I thought was just phenomenal, and so I I set out to design a pattern of hers, and um, I learned a ton off of that first design. So she was the first person I I ever attempted to tackle. So amazing. And I in looking at your photographs, looking at your earlier portraits, it seemed like your colors were a little more subdued, maybe. And you have this very interesting, very vibrant palette that you use now. That obviously developed over time, too. Yeah. So where that came from was after Audrey, 2000, uh, 2020 happened, right? And there was a there was a lot how would i put it there was a lot being brought to light right all of these issues of of um, of social justice issues all of a sudden we have the pandemic we have issues of isolation and people losing their jobs and there was a lot going on and here in california it was very palpable i mean we had riots and protests and people you know wanting to wanting to to adjust the system right Right. and um, a lot was happening in our family as well had you know my grandmother dies of COVID there was just a lot a lot happening and you know after my kids would go to bed my little boys would go to bed is when I would come to my little sewing nook here and and sew and I thought you know I need to make something to lift my spirits and so I Another person that I I absolutely admire and I'm in awe uh, in awe of is Martin Luther King Jr. And I thought, well, let me tackle doing an MLK portrait. You know, this was just for me to kind of like process my own stuff and and the whole idea for me was, you know, how do I because with Audrey I had really attempted to do a natural color fabrics, right? If if you see her face, it's tones of cream and tans and i actually found it to be more to be more difficult to do a quilt portrait trying to use natural tones interesting i think it's because susan like your eye automatically is like 
no Varushka, those are not the real colors. I see what you're trying to do here, but it works, but it doesn't, right? And so I knew with MLK, I was like, well, I'd been inspired by the work of Biza Butler, right? Who uses these, these uh, contrasting tones. She does this applique, beautiful portraits of, of African-Americans um, in like the 20s and 1910s. <clears throat> and I thought, well, what if I use representative colors? Um, and, and I had seen other portraits who kind of do the same effect, right? So you do different shades of color to represent certain things. So it strikes so I, me when I look at your pictures, it strikes me like using some kind of um, photo app to do like a, a duo type color, right? And it just almost limits that palette into a particular channel. And then your eye just reads it and interprets it. It's amazing. Yeah. So with with MLK, um, well, it's not actually done on an app. It's actually on Illustrator that the photo is adjusted. I, I, you push them to black and white and then you kind of – but. With the color palette, with MLK, there was almost like 270 shades, different shades. Oh, my goodness. And so I, I knew with him I wanted this this kind of transition between dark to light, right? Between – to sort of represent this this idea of, you know, bringing light to darkness, justice to injustice, you know, Um and so I knew I wanted tones of blue and navy and then um, tones of whites and yellows and pinks for the light. And it and I think it turned out great. And that's actually where things started kind of evolving for me in the quilting world because people were like, hey, how did you do this? I usually see this in applique form. How are you doing it in foundation paper piecing? But what I personally learned from my MLK uh uh, quilt portrait was I was using too many colors. I mean, it looks wonderful. I mean, more colors can really just, but it was, <laughs> it was a little too hard to manage that many colors um, because number one, fabric is expensive, right? I mean, um, like a yard of printed fabric is, is about, you know, 11, $12. And, and, and it, it, as it should be right. Cause a lot of work goes into that, but it, it was just, it was just too many colors. And so I knew early on, I needed to develop a palette and I thought, well, maybe that helps with branding too, you know, because if I develop a palette, well, this is, this is, this is, um, you know, this is Varushka's palette, her, 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 her patterns, you can kind of identify someone's work so it was more out of done out of a, of, of a practical matter and then it ended up really working out because it is certainly effective mm -hmm. thank you it, it, it's it it also helps to um i work better when i have constraints sometimes right because i know now i know all the highlights of the face are in tones of white and light yellow and then darker a darker uh, a goldenrod yellow and then a, 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 a coral color. so in my mind now i know where the colors fit in for representation so it actually what started as well this is just too overwhelming i don't have the time to put in that many colors to every single piece i want to do actually ended up really facilitating the process that's great so just from a purely practical standpoint, so I ha full confession time, I'm not really a foundation paper piecing. I can probably count on <laughs> one hand the number of projects that I've attempted, and they're all ultra simple compared to yours. 
Like, where does one start? So I know that you offer patterns for sale. Where do you recommend that someone starts? Like maybe which of your patterns might they use and which of your YouTube or instructional videos might they want to watch first to know if this is something they want to do and to get started? Yeah, so wonderful question. You know what's been so interesting, Susan, is I've been talking to quilt guilds and and people that have been doing quilting for, you know, 20, 30 years. And I often find this hesitancy with foundation paper piecing, almost like this intimate, like I, it, it scares me or I tried it and it didn't work out. I totally and, get that because it, it is, it's difficult. It's a totally different skill than your typical, you know, matching seams pressing to one side or pressing open kind of thing. And it seems very intricate and daunting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I just have so many thoughts on that. The, the, the thing about foundation paper piecing is, um, well, for those who don't know, foundation paper piecing is um, basically the, 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 the pattern is on a piece of paper. Right. The lines are and, all drawn, basically. And the lines are all drawn. So it's it's you, you know where to sew. You know where the fabric goes. It's kind of like, you know, paint by numbers. It's kind of like sewing by numbers. The tricky part is that you're working from behind, right? Like all sewing, you work from behind. But the, there's a sequencing to foundation paper piecing that most folks in the beginning have a hard time. Like, well, well how does it work? And so when I when I started foundation paper piecing, Susan, there wasn't a lot online. And I happened on FPP because I I was stuck on wanting to do a unicorn uh, quilt block. And I had looked online for different things and I found some pieced patterns, but then I found this other pattern that really called to me. Now, when I purchased it, I had no idea it was foundation paper piecing, first of all. And second, I had no idea what foundation paper piecing was. And so I, I like I did, I, you know, would go to a YouTube university. <laughs> I would, you know, being a good graduate student, I would do a lot of research online, right? Um, and um, there wasn't a lot online. And so I, I learned the, the hard way. Like, I learned the way that people shouldn't learn. Because for me, what got me through it was just tenacity. I was like, I'm going to finish this blog. I started it. I, I started something, I'm going to finish it. And so when I finally got the hang of it, I was like, okay, first of all, this is a lot easier than I thought it was. You, I just need, if I would have had, if I would have talked to myself three months ago, I would have saved myself a lot of heartache and a lot of time with the seam ripper. So that's when I thought, you know what? I've been given so much from learning online for free from folks who have offered of them themselves who have said, hey, this was the heartache that I went through to learn this. Look, you shouldn't have to go through that. You don't have to go through that. It's this easy. Bam, bam, bam. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to make a pattern. And and there's a there's a pattern on my Etsy. Uh, of fa it's called fashion statement. It's a woman in a hat. And I thought I'm, I'm going to make a video series of how to foundation paper piece from start to finish, like no tips, no tricks are held back. And so I talk about how to print out the pattern, like different sections of a, how do you read a pattern in the foundation paper piecing? Cause it's a little different, right? It is. It is. Because with regular quilting, you have instructions 
to first cut. Mm -hmm. So quilting, traditional piecing is cutting, then sewing, then ironing, mm -hmm. and then you put it all together, right? Right. Foundation paper piecing is a little different in that you have to do all of that every step of the way. So every shape you have to cut, sew, iron, and then you do it again. So there's, there's a, uh, the cycle is much more repetitive. You know, in traditional piecing, you do all the cutting at once. So it, that takes, you know, a good three, four hours to do. And then all the, so, so it's kind of like divided up into smaller little sections. Right. So I talk about, you know, how uh, the world of FPP, how does a pattern look like? What are the tools that you can use? Um, you know, how, how, what is the trick to foundation paper piecing? Cause, cause once, once you get the rhythm, you can do any FPP. I get asked a lot, Susan, like, you know, um, what's the easiest FPP pattern you have and what's the hardest? And that's a funny, that's an interesting question. It's kind of funny because the truth is that doesn't exist. Well, obviously it comes from a person like me who says the fewer the seams and the fewer the colors, that must be the easiest, right? <laughs> right, exactly. But in fact, it, what it is, it's the quickest. So it's more a, a, a question of, you know, if you have a simpler pattern, it's, you're going to finish it quicker but it's exactly the same rhythms and the same technique for a larger, more intricate piece. Um, so yeah, I, I, I set out to do a complete video series to help folks uh, learn foundation paper piecing as a technique because you shouldn't have to have the heartache of learning, you know, uh, through trial and error like I did. It's totally unnecessary. <laughs> So is so, that yeah. series available on your YouTube channel? It is, and it's totally free. So tell, and us, I, tell us where to go for that. Tell me where to go for that. I need help. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's on Pride and Joy Quilting, and there are tons of – so I do have lots of little tips and tricks, like, you know, how to create super flat seams, how to reduce bulk. Like, they're just, like, one-minute or two-minute videos. And then there's the complete series, which is like 12 videos, several hours. Um, and I basically walk you through that entire pattern. And then as we sew it up, I kind of talk about, well, how, how do I think about this? Um, and when I did that pattern, I, I wanted to tackle all of the elements that I use in my patterns, right? Like, for example, um, how to deal, how to manage large single sections, um, how to tackle joining sections. Um, and that's often to, where a lot of the bulk is, right? So a couple of the yes. videos that I watched dealt with how to handle those bulky seams and where to go with that excess fabric. Yeah, because with detailed pieces, you know, more detail means more pieces, right? Or more shapes, more which means- allowances. Exactly, mm -hmm. which means more seam allowances. So the more detailed a piece, the more I find I need to I need to uh, tackle bulk. Have methods for which, dealing with it, yeah. Yeah, which is which is one of the, the the challenges that I have when I'm designing. So when I'm designing, I'm intentionally looking at where do I place these lines in a way that when I actually go to sew it, the bulk will be dispersed. So, give so me, if you 
if you can, in a few sentences, you know, paragraph or less, can you give me like a little flow chart kind of of your method? So you, you found the inspiration, the person that you want to create a portrait of. What's next? So what's next is I um, take my color palette and I kind of place it where I, I think it goes. And then the longest and the most tedious part is the drafting part. Because, it, for example, I'm working... I'm working right now on a on a, on a, a portrait that I'm hoping to release of Joan of Arc, uh, holding a lightsaber, of and course. I have I have drafted her oh, maybe three or four times. So you've because got, you've got the idea in mind and the outlines, for lack of a better word. You do you do color next, or do you do you know think about where those seam lines will fall? As you were talking about a minute ago, the sectioning of it. That's a really. Uh, it's all happening at the same at the same time. And actually, I've gotten so many inquiries online on on how to do it that I, I've been starting to think of how to do a workshop. Um, and sometimes I feel over, overwhelmed by it because I, number one, time with two little boys doing anything is epic. Like right now, doing this podcast, you know, my my husband's on the way from a meeting. There. They're watching. I'm like, okay, I have a meeting. I'll be right back. Come get me if there's an emergency. So having time is the hardest part. But as I envision, like, how do you teach this? It's hard to compartmentalize some things so that it's it makes sense, right? Going from my brain so that it makes sense to someone else. The truth is, is that things are happening simultaneous. Like, I'll I'll draw a line, I'll adjust colors, and then that won't work, and so I'll readjust trying to look at shadowing, trying to look at highlights. So it's all happening simultaneously. And then it'll be done, right, I think. And then I'll look back through it through a fine tooth comb and I'm like, mm, I need to rethink this. I need to rethink that. My biggest challenge when I'm drafting is, is as, a, as, as a sewist, right, as someone who sews, trying to get my foundation paper pieces as large as possible. So what that means is, um, how do I make an individual paper piece have as many of the shapes necessary without joining it to the next paper piece? Okay. That's what makes it harder, actually. The more joining of seams you have, the, um, the more possibility for inaccuracy, right? Because then all of a sudden the seams won't like the points won't join or they won't right. be perfect. And then so like I have this pattern kind of messed up. Yeah. Visual. Like you're like, Oh, those points didn't match. So I actually have one pattern on my Etsy. That's an, that's a eye and it's completely customizable. Like you can change the color of the eyeshadow and the eyebrow and the eyeball, but the entire piece pattern is one foundation paper piece. There's no joining in it. And and so I love that. I, and it's a real challenge to me. Like, how do I make um, this pattern as complex as possible with as few pieces as possible? So that's what I'm constantly challenging myself with. Um, and I find that people are, are, are um, that are learning 
are finding it easier to do FPP because of that. So that's kind of rewarding too. Absolutely. So I have to come back to one thing. You were mentioning, you know, your boys and trying to do this podcast recording even and keep, you know, <laughs> keep the boys occupied. So I've been listening to some of your YouTube videos and I got to say, like, for anyone listening, if you want a quick pick me up, listen to those videos and the energy and joy of those little boys in the background is fantastic. I absolutely love it. Oh, Thank you, Susan. You know, one of the things that I'm grateful for 2020 about is like people are okay with kids' noises in the backdrop because <laughs> they're like, oh, I get it now. I think um, so too because so many you. people have had to start to do their work from home and on Zoom meetings and so forth and everyone's gotten very, uh, I don't know if relaxed is the right word, but more understanding about it. We don't have to be so formal as we once were. So yay. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely empathy. Like they know, oh, I know what that's like, right? At least yeah. for people that have children. And you quite know, honestly, my, my baby. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, it makes it makes businesses more approachable when you see that personal side. There's a number of podcasts that I listen to, and they kind of always have a disclaimer at the beginning, and it's done really well. But, you know, you might hear life in the background. You might hear my cat or my dog or my kids. And I like that. That just <laughs> makes it so much more personal. Yeah, and you know my my baby boys are, um, they're the inspiration really of of all of this. You know, pride and joy quilting is them. They're my pride and joy. My logo is them. You know, they they are the ones that inspired me to uh, to learn something new. Um, my actual so a lot of the reason why you hear um, their laughter or they're complaining, or they're calling me in the backdrop is because my sewing space, we we adjusted, we rearranged things so that my sewing space is right where their homeschool hangout space is. Because I, I, want, I want them to, you know, I want to hang out with them. I want them to hang out with me. And they, they're constantly coming in and saying, mommy, can I help you? So they'll, they actually take out the foundation paper piece, the papers at the end. Oh, um, nice. they, they love to take out the pins. Um, so I want them to feel like, like they're welcome in, into my space, you know, at all times. Um, and, and so, you know, sometimes they take advantage of it and that's fine with me. I tell them you can always come and interrupt mommy when, when, you know, for a hug or a kiss, but you know, the truth is now as a stay at home mom, because I, I left working to, to be able to raise them, to homeschool them. Um, you know, people, I get asked a lot, you know, how do you find the, the time to do this? And the truth is now that they're six and seven, they can, you know, often when they're doing independent play or they're doing the computer component of their homeschool, because they have book and computer, you know, I'll just sneak away for 10 or 20 minutes and I'll do like one little section or, um, you know, they're swimming and I'll come in and I'll, and I'll, you know, spend half an hour. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, there's no balance really. It's just trying to find, it's not like, well, this is my time frame, And, you know, I, I sew from 10 to 12, my, not at all. It's kind of this fluid thing where, Hey, I got a lot of sewing done today while the kid, daddy took the kids to the park to, Oh, Hey, it's been a few days. I haven't had a chance. Um, yeah, being a mom doesn't you don't yeah. usually have that luxury of dedicated craft time, but I notice <laughs> we always seem to find a way, don't we? <laughs> right. Right, exactly. So, tell me a little bit about your current stellar project that you're working on. Or at least it looks current based on your Instagram posts. Yes. So I'm I'm it's my biggest piece to date. It's 70 by 70. 
I need to count and see how many shapes are in it. But it's definitely the most detailed piece I've done. It's the largest. It's still using the same color palette, so less than 20 colors. Um, but it's a self-portrait of me with my my two boys and um, my pride and joy, right? And I thought, oh, pride and joy quilting. So it's, it's I, I finished my little boy first. And then I finished my firstborn and now I got to work on my mug, which is the one I'm avoiding the most in my self portrait. <laughs> but um, the idea came from, you know, I, I'm doing all these faces of folks and it takes so much time to get the, the images, the, the, the drafting, right. I thought, well, you know, why don't I take this time to, to do with me and my boys. Um, and my poor husband was like, he was like, where am I in the, <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's a self-portrait and it just kind of became with the boys because pride and joy quilting so i kind of <laughs> i felt so bad i thought i'll do a family portrait sometime in the future i'll just do one for you but it's a yeah it's a it's a self-portrait of me and my boys um and it's a big one i'm already nervous about how to quilt it because typically my pieces are smaller they're f the largest i do is 40 by 40 um, and that's for a lot of reasons. Mostly, it's just more manageable. The larger you get, the harder it is to manage something, right? As we know as quilters. Mm -hmm. So I, I only do 40 by 40. And I, and I tended to just mount them on a canvas because um, I, I, my pieces are so detailed that I've, I've wondered if I quilt over them, if it'll take away. But this piece, I'm definitely going to have to quilt. You can't mount a 70 by 70, right? So I'm, I'm nervous about how to... It, it will be quilted, but, um, so how have you, know, there, you quilted there are... some in the past? I'm a long arm quilter myself. So that was one of my burning questions oh. is how do you quilt them and how do you keep that from detracting and rather play up the features in the, in the photo, in the portrait? That's a great, so I, I will confess, I am not a long arm quilter. Like I, my thing is piecing. So I have, I, I'm like a novice when it comes to quilting. You know, I, I, I wish I I had the gift of being able to, like, visually look at, you know, this, how, how to do more complex uh, quilting on my pieces. But right now I do uh, uh, straight line sewing. Um, and it's fine because I feel like there's so much detail already in the piecing that if I, I was to overcomplicate it with the, the quilting that it might distract. I actually agree with you. But, I, I often resort to straight line quilting just because it doesn't distract from the, the project, mm. the colors, the design, whatever the visual impact is. So yeah, don't feel badly about that at all. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, oh man, I finally finished this piece. I wish I, I could do like a kick butt uh, quilting, but it is what it is, right? It's all for, for fun. We do the best we can with the tool sets that we have at the time. It would be fun, just an idea, and I'm just off the cuff here. It would be fun Please. sometime down the road to do like the textile portion. So maybe the jacket that someone is wearing with an awesome quilted design. Uh, so, you know, hit me up for that down the road I, sometime. I, you know what? I'll <laughs> send it your way, and you can kind of do some drawings on it and be like, Vrishka, this is how I would do because I'm all, you know, Susan, I'm already nervous about the quilting part. I'm like, I got the piecing part. It's the quilting part when I finish my self-portrait. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> well, and sometimes it doesn't hurt to, you know, have things percolate for a little while and ideas come to you over time too. Yeah. So, yeah. so. 
Well, this has been a real pleasure. I cannot wait to see what you do next. So thank you so much, Susan. Thanks ever so much for joining me. Do you want to tell people briefly? I know we mentioned your YouTube channel, but tell people briefly where you can be found and where they can see some of your beautiful art. And I will also include links in the show notes too. Yeah, um, I, you know, uh, my YouTube channel that's full of, you know, tips and tricks on on how to do foundation paper piecing is Pride and Joy Quilting. Um, I do have a foundation paper piecing private group on Facebook that folks are free to join and kind of have a safe place to share their questions or their progress with foundation paper piecing. Um, But most of my platform, I would say, is on Instagram. That's where I share pictures and videos and and things as such. And, And I think kind of reflecting, you know, if there's one thing I want folks to take away from listening to this, if, you know, if, if they if they didn't log off by now, I hope they didn't, um, is, you know, don't be afraid to try something new. If, you know, if someone would have told me a year ago that what I was doing as a hobby would resonate with folks, I would have said, no way. Like that's, that's a dream come true. And in many ways I feel like this is a dream come true because I, you know, I took the risk of trying something new. So if you find, you know, that, you know, you've been doing a, a certain type of quilting for a long period of time and are, are wondering, hey, maybe maybe I need to try something different. Give it a go, whether it's applique or English paper piecing or foundation paper piecing, or maybe you've done all of that and you're curious about, well, how do I design my own things? You know, take that first step because you might surprise yourself. And you might find that there are are different areas within your personhood that will begin to flourish and blossom because you took that step. So I want to encourage whoever is listening to to challenge themselves to try something new and unexpected because, you know, there might be some really cool things down the line. Excellent advice. That's a great note to end on. Thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank you, Susan. Thanks for having me. And thank you for tuning into the show. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcast or the podcast app of your choice. It really helps other listeners to find the show so they can hear these stories too. For information on the classes I offer or quilting services, please see my website, stitchedbysusan.com. If you're a long-arm quilter and looking for freehand tips, take advantage of the live and unscripted events hosted on my Facebook page and replayed on my YouTube channel, Stitched by Susan. And if pictures are your preference, check out my Pinterest galleries of edge-to-edge and custom quilting projects. These direct links can all be found in the show notes below. So, until next time, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted.